Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 205 of the Tech Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is Medical Intuitive, an interview with Katie Beecher. My name is Richard Johannesson. And I'm Matt Sabatello. Matt, this is a really cool interview with a woman who taught us the importance of having your intuition intact. Uh, we learned that the medical industrial complex is very good at causing us to doubt ourselves and invalidate us. And unfortunately, when we are invalidated, we don't have the basic God-given tools we need in order to be able to heal from Lyme disease. Rich, Katie was our 205th podcast, and we always come into these interviews thinking, we're not going to learn anything new. But Katie taught us so much. She talked to us about a specific testing protocol that we've never heard before in the podcast. And she gave us so much great detail about what she did to treat Lyme disease, again, that we've never heard before. So this is a really important interview for our listeners to tune into, Rich. So Matt, it's really dangerous for doctors to invalidate us. It's really dangerous for the medical system to invalidate us. And it's really important to make sure that we do get in touch with the most important diagnostic tools and the treatment tools that we have, our own intuition. And Katie gave us a very specific definition of what it means to understand how we feel or being in touch with our feelings. So Matt, without further ado, I'm really excited to introduce the medical intuitive to the Tick Bootcamp podcast. Hey, Katie Beecher, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm really excited. So Katie, you're known as a medical intuitive. What is a medical intuitive? Yeah. So when I tell people that, I either get looks like I have three heads or they're like, okay, fine. So what I do, well, the general description is um, I can look into people's energy and lives and history and everything and tell them usually way more than they want to know about themselves. And my procedure is pretty different because just with someone's name and age, I create a four page report and that's literally emotional, physical, spiritual, um, career, intuitive abilities, childhood, family history, everything. Um, and then I create a intuitive painting, watercolor painting about their energy in their life. And um, the goal is to take all of this information um, look at the root causes for any issues that they might be having um, and also the kind of root solutions for issues that they might be having, um, help them to do healing, wellness, connect to intuition, be authentic, um, everything. Some people who contact me are sick, some people are not, but I take all of that and help people move forward and have healthier, happier lives. So how would a medical intuitive help someone who's on a Lyme disease journey? Meaning what would the information you give to someone do for them on their healing journey? Sure, no, that's a great question um, because a lot of people come to me with symptoms that they're not quite sure what they are. Um, and you know, Lyme can be incredibly vague and look like 8 million other things. So oftentimes I will, identify symptoms legally and ethically I cannot diagnose. Um, I'm a licensed professional counselor too. And so I can do mental health stuff, but I still, you know, that being said. Um, so I will identify symptoms that they're having. Um, I'll say these symptoms feel like Lyme, MS or fibromyalgia or whatever. Um, and then people then let me know, yeah, you know, you're right. All of these things are accurate. Um, it started with the traumas that I've identified or that triggered something because sometimes or a lot of people will have Lyme in their systems 
and not be symptomatic until they go through a stressful experience or traumatic experience. So we literally look at all of the root causes and contributors, and then that helps, excuse me, that helps give people kind of a roadmap um, and some ideas for where to go from there. Um, I have physicians, mostly naturopaths and things that I work with that I trust, who I refer to, to not only confirm what I've found, but to do testing and treatment and, and other things um, that complement um, the other things that I found or the emotional and spiritual, you know, root causes and solutions. So it's a team approach. So Kenny, we've had many people tell us that Lyme disease is an engineering problem. Now, do you think you're someone who would be able to help someone have an understanding of their challenges in a way that would help them to re-engineer their problems and therefore overcome uh, Lyme disease as an engineering problem? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, that's a lot of what we do is, you know, problem solve and look at how is this impacting you as an individual? Um you know, there's one thing I've learned about Lyme is that it looks different in everybody and you can have the same co-infections as someone else and it looks completely different for you and your pre-existing conditions may be different. Your, um, your immune system may be different. Your ability to heal is different. Um, the solutions are very different. So I'm not huge on protocols just because I think we're all individuals. But um, yeah, it's a lot of let's look at what's going on with you and specific solutions to help you heal. So I'm really excited to talk to you more about this in context, but let's let's get a context for our community. Uh, I mean, for you. So where are you currently living and where are you from? I'm living in Florida, Jacksonville, Florida. And up until three years ago, four years ago, I lived in Old Saybrook, Connecticut. Before that, I grew up in Clinton, Connecticut. And Clinton is three towns over from Old Lyme and Old Saybrook is next to Old Lyme. And true story, my daughter played lacrosse in Old Lyme and the name of her team was the Ticks. <laughs> How many people can say that? Well, I, I guess one of the things we'd like to do is get control over the language of the, uh, of the uh, vector that's ruining so many different lives. So I guess that's an interesting way of doing that by naming right? your sports team after, uh, <laughs> after the vector. So, um, so talk to us about what it was like to grow up in Connecticut first during your childhood and then later into your adult life. So I am, I'm 56. I'm not going to say the world are old because I know what happens. Um, but I'm 56. So graduated high school in 83. Um, no one knew about Lyme. No one talked about Lyme. wasn't a identified thing. But I spent a lot of time on the beach and in the woods and um, and things. So me developing it was kind of a no brainer. Like if I hadn't developed it, it kind of would have been like a little weird. Um, but it was pretty dysfunctional childhood um, in a lot of ways. Um, and I developed an eating disorder. Um, went through a lot of a huge healing journey with that when I was 16. And that kind of, well, didn't kind of, it started my spiritual journey in terms of identifying these gifts that I had. I'd always talk to dead people and things, but was afraid of it and um, developed depression and other, other sort of body symptoms like aches and pains, which I just attributed to gymnastics or 
um, growing up in a crappy household or being bullied or so a lot of these things I later learned were Lyme connected. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, I did so my thing. So can yeah. you visit this in a little bit more detail? So sure. you, you, you were growing up in Lyme, Connecticut, or, Next to it, sorry, yeah. in close proximity to Lyme, yes. Connecticut. Yes. At the time that the Lyme, the, the Lyme disease observations were being made at the time of the Lyme cluster was being observed. Right, right. There was a great deal of media attention around that event. So you were, that was right in the midst of your childhood uh, when yep. this was happening. It was in the, you know, the late seventies and the early eighties. And uh, you were a child growing up in Connecticut, a few, um, a few towns away from, uh, from the cluster itself. Right. So you're telling me that your community and your, educational experience did not in any way give you any information about the disease that was that was becoming you know an international um sensation just a couple of communities away from where you were growing up that is correct um i remember hearing things you know um in the news about yale and they called it lyme arthritis at the time um it was they were kind of starting to, you know, give it some press attention and um, give, uh, you know, tell Polly Murray's family story, basically. Um, but it was still kind of, it, it wasn't treated as something that a lot of people got. It, it was just sort of like this little cluster linked to, you know, Lyme. And it wasn't talked about anywhere else. And it was... Um, a lot of just doctors going, we're not quite sure what this is, but we're kind of learning about it. And this woman that everybody thought was hysterical, people are starting to take a little bit more seriously. And um, so, yeah, in base, not, not much was out there at all, basically. So um, now, shortly after the cluster is discovered in Lyme, Connecticut, uh, there is a tick drag done on Long Island. And, um, and Willie Bergdorfer receives the ticks from, from Jorge Panache, which is one of our local um, doctors here from Stony Brook University. And they discover the bacteria that they believe is now causing Lyme disease in all the young people who were a part of that cluster, two communities away from you. Now, did any of that get on your radar? Because I can tell you, I'm a little bit older than you. Uh, and, uh, and that type of stuff was getting on our radar on on Long Island. I can tell you we were we were certainly becoming tick aware during my childhood. We were aware of Rocky Mountain spotted fever. Right, right. And we started to hear about this Lyme disease as well and we were protecting ourselves from ticks. Were you were you doing tick checks and were you um were you finding ticks on any of your animals and just doing anything to protect yourself from Oh them? yeah, no I remember we you know my father was a hunter we had hunting dogs so we were always always finding ticks but the big big giant ones, you know, um, and so my mom was a registered nurse. Um, so um, there were certainly like, if you had a tick on you, you poured alcohol on it and did all that kind of stuff and wore repellent. And um, when in 1983, I went to college in DC. So I was a little bit removed from, you know, the Northeastern stuff yeah. um, and middle of DC, not as much of a big deal, but um but yeah, we definitely always paid attention to taking the tick off correctly, whether it was a person or an animal, um, you know, but there wasn't really a lot of kind of discussion 
um, about Lyme per se, which there really should have been. So you said that during the course of your childhood, you started to be symptomatic for some things that you didn't know what they were, right? right. You, were, you were feeling achy and you were going to doctors and you're at, you had a mother who was a medical professional. So was there any conversation about any of these sort of interesting and traditional and now classic Lyme disease symptoms ever connected to either a tick bite or to, uh, or to this uh, Lyme disease that was uh, that was becoming uh, internationally renowned just a couple of towns away from you. Hell no, <laughs> no. So now, now, Katie, one of the things that we've observed, and it's been kind of painful, you know, for us as uh, as uh, hosts of this uh, podcast, is that the many many young people that we've interviewed have had to deal with eating disorders as a symptom of their tick diseases. Um, so when you, were, when you were dealing with your eating disorder uh, during that stage in your life, was there any discussion that perhaps there was a physiological basis for this disorder and not a mental health basis? There was definitely not. Um, my circumstances were fairly unusual in that I, when I was 16, I called our pediatrician and said, I'm throwing up three times a day. I need help. And the pediatrician basically was like, you know, it's probably fine. You'll grow out of it. And I'm like, no, dude, um, there's something really wrong with me. And he gave me the name of a therapist. I went without telling my parents because they were not useless. You know, they were not supportive at all and didn't participate, um, paid for it myself, got there myself. Um, and because of the bullying I had dealt with because of the dysfunctional family situation, it was definitely, and I went to a Jungian therapist, Carl Jung. So it was looked at more of a mental health, spiritual type of disease. And that made sense to me and recovering in that way was very effective. Um, but I had very bad depression and no one ever thought to link, you know, the depression or the um, swollen knees or any of that kind of stuff to possible Lyme. Okay. So talk to us about your educational experience and um, now pre-college, you know, I want to talk to you about when your, your educational experience in, in, in Connecticut, when you were going to school in Connecticut, elementary school, junior high school, I don't know if you had a, a high school experience um, uh, that was separate from your junior high or middle school yep. experience. Um, were you taking health courses and science courses? And when you were taking those courses, did you learn anything about ticks or tick diseases? Um, I took a lot of science courses. I really enjoyed that and thought I would do pre-med actually. And no one talked about ticks or Lyme or anything. Okay. Let's, now you said you were also an athlete. You were playing sports uh, during your cheerleading. Okay. Uh, now, of course, and at least the cheerleading element of what you were doing had an outside element. I had two daughters who were cheerleaders and uh, they spent a lot of time both training, um, you know, outdoors and cheering yeah. outdoors. Um, were you given any information about how to protect yourself from ticks or tick diseases when you were doing uh, your work as a cheerleader, either cheering or training for cheering? Not a darn thing. Okay. So you were, you were taught as part of your athletic experience, how to keep your body healthy so you can perform at a high level, both as a gymnast and as a, as a cheerleader, but you were never given any tools to keep your body healthy, to perform in life by teaching you how to do tick checks and how to properly remove ticks. And then of course, keep yourself healthy. Yeah, no. And, and my mom, like I said, registered nurse, she ended up being a nursing professor and it just, I don't remember her ever 
talking about it other than if we had a tick on us, she'd, you know, freak out a little bit and do the, the tick thing. Um, but no, I mean, it just wasn't talked about. So let's talk about the tick thing a little bit that your mom did, because, you know, we, we did the tick thing as well. We had a, we had a vat of Vaseline and tweezers that would sit in the Vaseline and matches next to the Vaseline actually on the shelf in our house, because we had so many ticks on us and on yep. our companion animals. Um, did you have anything like that? And now knowing what you now know, how do you feel about the way you were taught to remove ticks during your childhood? Um, I mean, I felt like it was the best knowledge they had at the time. It was For always, sure. you know, you, you sterilize the area, get the whole thing, try to get it without it, you know, the head breaking off. Um, and before it, you know, exploded with blood all over the place. So cool. Um, you know, um, but I think people did the best they could at the time, even with the animals, um, same kind of thing, then, you know, sterilize the area. Um, so there was, you know, that awareness. Um, but I honestly don't remember ever seeing a deer tick on any, on a person or an animal until many, many years later. And at that time, um, I was pregnant, actually. My mom took me directly to the clinic and they put me on antibiotics. Okay, so you, you I, uh, we'll get to that tick bite experience yeah, in a minute, but that, yeah. so you were pregnant with one of your children and you suffered a tick bite yourself while you were pregnant. Well, the tick was on me. It wasn't a bite, it was just okay. on me. And it was like, okay, let's deal with this. I'm pregnant, you know, whatever. Okay. So let, let's, let's stay focused on your, your childhood experience and you had these various illnesses that you now are connecting to your Lyme disease experience. Uh, what were you dreaming about doing? Meaning how did you feel like you were going to contribute to the world? What, what did you, what was your vision for how you were going to provide for yourself um, when you graduated from high school and went off to college? So going through the eating disorder was one of the best things that ever happened to me because it helped me to find my true self. It helped me to accept and not be afraid of my intuitive psychic abilities. Um, it helped me to separate from my dysfunctional family. And I knew at that time, you know, my guides told me in my head, um, you're gonna write a book, you're gonna talk about your experiences, you're gonna help other people heal and find self-love and connect to their intuition and so I ended up um, getting my master's in counseling. Um, originally, I'd wanted to become a doctor, but I knew even though I was well on my way to recovery, I just felt like it would be too exhausting and I wasn't physically able or meant, you know, emotionally able to go through like the internships and things. So um, I'm kind of glad because I probably would have been more traditional than I, than I am. I mean, everything does happen the way it's supposed to happen pretty much, but whatever. Um, so yeah, I saw it as being a counselor, using my intuitive gifts and, um, and kind of piggybacking on everything that I had learned through my own healing and recovery. So you said you went off to college in BC. Where did you go to school and what did you major in when you went to college? Um, I went to George Washington University and I majored in biology and psych. And then um, I got my master's at a couple of different schools between Southern um, and George Mason and, and went on actually to get um, teaching certification and school psychology certification. Okay. So now you said that you were having health challenges during that window of your life where you thought perhaps you'd want to pursue a profession as a medical doctor, but you didn't think your health would allow you to do that. So talk to us about how your health was affecting the decisions that you were making educationally. I 
had not, well, when I went to therapy, I was very determined that I was going to get better. And I do believe it was divine intervention that brought me there and helped me find that person. And I've been recovered from bulimia for 30 years. So I'm very fortunate. Most people don't get to recover, but in my early late teens and early twenties, um, even though I wasn't doing the behavior as often, I was still very badly depressed. Um, at one point in my early twenties, I was put on an antidepressant, which helped a lot. Um, but you know, the depression was still some days I'd be okay. Sometimes it was really bad. And I lived with that for a long time. And I just felt like going through the strain of internships and medical school. And um, I didn't, I couldn't concentrate as well on my schoolwork or retain information as well um, as I could when I was much younger. Um, and I just didn't feel like I had the physical endurance or emotional endurance or the wherewithal to you know, do that justice and get through it and not be a crazy person. So how are your, how are your symptoms changing from, from the symptoms you had described to us that you're suffering from in high school? I Meaning how were your Lyme symptoms developing? The, the depression started around when I was 11 or 12. And that's about when the bullying started too. Um, so, you know, there was definitely a correlation there. Um, the aches and pains kind of came and went like nothing was really steady. Um, and They're migrating, right? Yeah, they were, they were. And I, I didn't, I felt like I had trouble concentrating. Um, whereas I, you know, didn't, when I was younger, I had straight A's at one point and then I couldn't concentrate as well. And I was, um, you know, very, um, it went between anxiety and depression basically, or, or both at the same time. It was great. Um, so, and I think, um, you know, I married when I was 24, like a crazy person, um, had a, a not great relationship, you know, got divorced. Um, and a lot of my time was occupied kind of by mental health issues. Um, so there weren't as well, okay. Having said that, um, I always had gut issues, always. And which is not, um, which is, you know, again, Lyme people have a lot of gut issues and no one knew what it was. Talk about going to 8 million doctors and no one ever paid attention to it. Um, I found out that I had low thyroid. Um, so not autoimmune based, but low thyroid. Um, you know, and the doctor that I eventually ended up working with, he said that I was basically treating the symptoms um, and no one was putting together that these, these are all related. I attributed a lot to my eating disorder and the damage I did to my body. So, but no one ever said, you know, hey, you're from Connecticut or whatever, um, you know, these all might be connected for, with Lyme. So let's talk about the doctors you were treating with. Did any of the doctors you were treating with make a connection between your gut health and your mental health? Meaning, was there ever a connection or were those two elements kept separate as well? No, um, not until I started working with an naturopath. Okay. So, so, yeah, not traditional. So you're going through the stage in your life where you have, you have gut issues and you don't know what is triggering these gut issues. You're suffering from mental health issues and no one's making a connection between the gut health and the mental health issues. 
Now, <clears throat> were any of the uh, the mental health professionals you were working with trying to find a physiological basis for your mental health challenges, or were they treating you emotionally and physically separately? Um, definitely separately, other than saying that it was a neurochemical base and because of my screwed up upbringing. Okay. So they, they were essentially taking the position that you had some challenges during your childhood um, and as a result of the challenge they had during your childhood, you had mental health disruption, and that's what you were dealing with at that time. And there was no effort to try to connect your mental health challenges to any physiological problem, including Lyme disease. Yep. So talk to us about how your life progressed from there. How did, how did, you, how did you proceed after you had um, finished your education and after you had gone through your, your, your divorce of your, uh, your youthful husband or your young husband, um, how did you like proceed professionally and personally? So I have to say that for me, um, Prozac was a game changer. It had only been out for a couple of years, but it dramatically changed my life in that I didn't have, I kind of got rid of any residual eating disorder symptoms. Um, I was no longer, well, I can't say I was no longer depressed, but it was, you know, 90% better. Um, I wasn't as extremely overly sensitive as I had been, which was not only emotional, but physically really, really sensitive to things, which I now later, it all ties in, you know that. Um, and so the Prozac really was a game changer and, and I was able to be myself and have a voice. And I met my, you know, now current husband who I've been with for 30 years and he's amazing. And we have an amazing marriage. And, um, and I you know, went on to um, work in different, different things, being a, a um, counselor. And I was a special ed teacher for a while and just kind of, you know, the depression never fully went away. The anxiety never fully went away, but I was just kind of like, yeah, I'm doing better than I was. And, um, kind of, you know, made my way through my thing. Um, so let's pause there for a second, Katie, because yeah. I, I think this is an important point. So, so you, you were having some extreme mental health challenges and the, one of the professionals you were working with, I'm assuming a psychiatrist, yeah. had prescribed you um, Prozac and yeah. the Prozac was a helpful tool to make your mental health challenges, I guess, less extreme. So you were able to function with those symptoms being managed by the drug. Yes, yes, correct. But you still had the symptoms. They just were not as extreme and no one was helping you, at least none of your medical professionals are helping you to get to the root cause of why you were suffering from your depression and why you were suffering from anxiety. They just gave you a tool to mask it and make it feel less extreme. That's correct. And I've also, I've been very, very proactive about my own health, uh, mental and physical. Um, I had parents who did not take care of their mental health and I vowed to break the cycle. And, you know, I had kids and I've always gotten therapy when I needed it. And if I felt my symptoms changing, I'd call the doctor and be like, Hey, this is happening. We need to tweak this. Or, you know, after my pregnancies, for example, um, my body reacted to medication differently. So I had to make changes and, and I was very proactive about things, but no one, you know, there wasn't the holistic approach, put it that way. 
Well, but there, but there seems to me that there wasn't even an approach designed to try to determine what the root cause of your right. depression, your depression or your anxiety was. There was just this desire to sort of help you to manage these symptoms, both chemically with the Prozac and um, and um, in the context of either an individual or group therapy environment, but there was no effort to get to the root of what was causing the mental health and other physiological problems. Right, and even, you know, the, I had, my knees were frequently swollen and things like that. And I just thought it was because I had water on the knee a lot. You know, um, no one brought up the idea of, uh, you know, general inflammation um, or how inflammation is linked to the gut or the thyroid, or it was just, everything was looked at individually. Okay, so now talk to us about how you were, how you were parenting. Um, talk to us about how you were, you were uh, developing professionally. And talk to us about how you believe that you were beginning to manage all of your symptoms intuitively in a way that allowed you to function at a high level despite still not having a root cause for your illness? Um, well, um, it was very important to me to be the best parent I could be. And my husband and I decided to raise them the opposite of how we were raised. <laughs> so, so that has worked out very well. Um, and, you know, I did always get support. Um, my husband's amazing. He's always been there for me. I feel like it was Sometimes it was just sheer freaking determination on my part. I've always been a hard worker. I've always been like, this is a problem. I need to get through it. Um, I need to address it, you know, um, be aggressive about things. And uh, as far as the physical symptom was, it was just sort of like, well, I think I'm doing the best I can. So I'm just going to do what I need to do in spite of not always feeling great. And um, I don't know if it was ignoring, trying to push down, but just trying to, you know, sometimes I look at life kind of like, you don't have a choice. You have to deal with this shit. Um, so I did not realize, I think how bad I was feeling until I felt better. Um, which I, I, you know, think about this when I got glasses. Oh, I didn't realize I couldn't even freaking see. And then I put the glasses on my face. And I'm like, oh, wow, I was blind. Okay, cool. Um, so yeah, I think a lot of it was just getting through. You know, I, I didn't sleep well. It's like, okay, well, I got some sleeping medicine. Cool. Um, it was just doing the best I could with the limited information I had. Um, and um, yeah, so... Katie, talk to us more about the idea of not realizing how sick you were until you got better, because it took you, it sounds like over 40 years from the time you got right. sick as a young child up until your diagnosis. Right. Did you just believe that this was what it was like to live a normal life and that you just had to take some medication to, to get through it? Or did you always suspect there was something else going on in the back of your mind? That's a really, really good question. Um, I think that... I didn't, at a, at a young age, I didn't have a lot of faith in traditional medicine because I had had things happen that I was treated for that didn't help. 
And I always kind of knew intuitively that there was more to what was going on than I was just being told or just being given this medicine or whatever. And so having gone through that, those experiences, I learned to do a lot of research myself and um, started to seek out more, you know, naturopathic um, physicians and more holistic um, people. And, but I think I just thought, I don't think some of these things are ever going to get better. It's just stuff I have to live with, or I'm just getting older, or, you know, I knew that I had done a ton of work on myself emotionally, physically, and spiritually. So I felt like things were just going to keep getting better, but I thought I'd live with depression the rest of my life. You know, I thought I'd always have crappy knees. I thought I'd always have gut issues. I thought it was just kind of, you know, suck it up and deal with it. So Katie, talk to us about what you were doing before you got diagnosed that in hindsight was actually helping or treating your Lyme disease, because many people like, like you who are very smart and intuitive end up doing things before they're diagnosed to actually help with their root cause illness. Yeah. And that's actually what the person who diagnosed said is that I had been treating it my whole life, basically. Um, so I changed my diet. Um, somebody made a comment about maybe you have gluten intolerance. So I stopped eating gluten that dramatically helped my gut dramatically, um, avoided dairy because I noticed I was not doing as well with that, um, that helped with the symptoms. Um, I got a lot more into my spiritual life. So, um, I joined a spiritualist church, which they actually have medium readings and hands-on healing, um, in that church. And I became a Reiki practitioner and I got more into, um, building my own intuitive abilities. When I worked as a therapist, I always listened to my guides. It was always just this download. And I, you know, did base a lot on my experience too, but it was always, I'd listen to them. And so, um, and even like, I found when I was eating better, um, and doing some physical therapy stuff and exercise and, you know, all these things I was feeling better. So I thought, okay, I'll just keep, keep doing these things and, and keep, keep learning. Um, and even just taking supplements like anti-inflammatory supplements and, um, and, oh, another weird thing that happened too, is at a very, very young age, I had severe hormonal imbalance. And after my first child, when I was 26, a year after I had kind of a nervous breakdown, which the psychiatrist was like, yeah, there's something really wrong with you because your family history is screwed. Um, intuitively, I was like, there's something wrong. And it turned out that I had postpartum depression. So I went on hormones. And so it was a lot of this, just kind of look at all this stuff and look for more root cause stuff and deeper answer stuff rather than band-aiding. Um, if that answers your question. It does. And I, and I just want to credit you because many people don't find the things that you discovered before your diagnosis until right. they're diagnosed. And after the diagnosis, when they're failed by traditional doctors, and sometimes, like in my case, it took me years after diagnosis to find some of the things you just discussed. But yeah. I do want to ask you to talk more about Reiki and what, what is it and how does it help you with, with Lyme disease? Yeah, so Reiki is basically, um, it's an Asian um, form of hands-on healing. And you um, you go to like, they start by going to like this one day class and you do what's called get attuned. And so you learn how to let that energy and healing energy kind of come through you. Um, and transfer through your hands and body. 
and you can do that hands-on healing to for yourself um, and for other people. Um, you don't have to be an intuitive. You don't have, to have any special abilities to be a Reiki healer. And I was also um, exploring other hands-on healing modalities. Um, Barbara Brennan, don't know if you know about her, but she's a pretty famous um, healer, has written like three books. She has an institute in Florida and one in Japan, I think. So I just started to look at what other ways could I heal myself because the I wasn't really into being on medication. It wasn't really helping. I knew there were other ways to get to this stuff. Um, and I knew that I had a lot of things that I needed to heal, you know, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. So. so Katie, talk to us about the ability to go from, you know, this traditional Western mindset to energy healing. So I can speak for myself. I was on the Western approach and since starting this podcast and tick bootcamp, I've now pivoted to an herbal and, and holistic approach, but it took me a while to get there, right? I had to, I had to accept it and believe in it, which frankly I didn't at first. And now I'm realizing I'm off almost all of my, my pharmaceuticals and doing great with, with these herbals. But the next approach from there is, okay, how do we go from there to accepting something like energy healing, which right. seems so crazy to be honest to people that, yeah. that are healthy, right? So right. how do we get people to take that leap from, you know, I'm sick and I'm, and I'm on all these medications to, to mask my symptoms to energy healing can really help me and get to the root cause. How do you address those people to get them to the other side? Sure. Um, I was very fortunate in that in the state of Connecticut, naturopaths are licensed in many States. They are not. And so one of the first issues I had that was very frustrating was I knew there was something wrong with my thyroid when I was really, really young. I knew I gained weight at a weird rate. I you know, eating disorder aside, there was something not right with my blood sugar. And so went to Yale and went to all these places, your thyroid's borderline, it's fine, whatever. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to take that for an answer. So I was fortunate enough to find this naturopath. Um, and he is the one who said, your thyroid's not normal, you have hypothyroid. And at that time, they could prescribe, I got put on a natural thyroid supplement. And it helped dramatically with all sorts of issues, you know, helped with the depression, helped with everything. So that was kind of my first foray into looking at other options. And um, as I learned more about my own intuitive abilities and came to accept that more, I just started reading about energy healing and, um, and being a medium and other things that you could do for yourself. And um, it was actually this doctor and another doctor who said, you know, there's this thing called energy healing and um, you should look into it because you're interested in all these other things. And I tried to make intuitive work, energy healing, whatever, as non-woo-woo as possible. Um, what I do is pretty crazy if you think about it. I know all this stuff about you with no information and I send you this report and I can't explain it. I'm grateful for it. I can't explain it, whatever. So I believe that we all have energy. We all communicate with each other in nonverbal and, you know, ways. Um, we all have intuition. It's just our guiding force. We all have medical intuition and, you know, you as a person who wasn't feeling well had to decide how bad is this that I need to um, get help with it? How much can I deal with at home? 
Um, you know, when your kids are sick, when do you need to bring them to the doctor? When do you need to? So you're making a lot of medical intuitive decisions all the time. And I really try to teach people how to connect with their intuition, how to connect with their body, how to communicate with their body, um, how to communicate with their symptoms. So I talked to my eating disorder. I talked to the Lyme disease. I talked to all this and used it as a tool to help me heal and learn more about myself. Um, so I try to make it as non-crazy as possible um, and help people see that they've been using their intuition their whole life. They just didn't necessarily label it as that. And Katie, it clearly works because we've known, we know so many people who have been on this podcast and people we've spoken to privately who, you know, to be blunt about it, got desperate, tried energy healing yeah. and were like, wow, why didn't I do this sooner? Right. So that's why I asked that question to say, how do you get people to get to that point sooner? But I, I do want to ask a follow up on that because clearly there are physiological, physical benefits to energy healing, but you think that there's also a psychological benefit or an emotional benefit as well. Meaning you said you talk to your, your eating disorder, you talk to your illness, mm-hmm. having positive self-talk we know has been scientifically proven to help change chemicals and help change hormones in your body. So do you think it's twofold that energy healing is really helping you from a physiological standpoint, but also from a psychological and an emotional standpoint? And that's why it's so effective with your clients. Absolutely. And you know, like meditation has been shown to lower cortisol levels and even help with blood sugar. And to me, connecting with your intuition, talking with your body, um, all of that is really a form of mindfulness meditation. So you don't have to, there's a lot of people, you know, especially with Lyme and stuff whose brains are moving a mile a minute and nothing's connecting and they don't feel like they can be still for a second. You know, I can't, I'm not capable of meditation. And I'm like, you don't have to just medicate any, I mean, meditate in a traditional way. Um, as long as you're open to listening, um, if you're in nature, if you are in a quiet space, if whatever you're meditating and that helps you relax physically and emotionally, if you're more relaxed, your immune function improves. Um, you know, there's just so many things about it that helps your whole whole body. And you also, I think it's very empowering and that is huge with any illness, but especially Lyme, because so many of my clients have been to every doctor under the sun or every practitioner traditional or otherwise, and they feel like this is happening to them. They have no control. They have no say. People look at them like they're crazy, you know, um, well, it must be, I mean, you know, I'm just going to give you all the psych meds because there's nothing actually wrong with you because none of your tests come back as abnormal, you know? So I'm, I'm huge into empowering and helping people trust themselves. So we had a, we had our, our last podcast guest told us that she had to recognize first, and it took her several years to get there that her, she basically escaped her body into her mind because she felt like her body was betraying her. Yeah. She's essentially carrying this like this corpse around with her and her body was getting sicker and sicker and sicker until she realized that one of her, her naturopathic doctors said, it's your body. You have to reconnect and you have yeah. to feel your body. And that's very much in line with what you're saying. It sounds like. That is so huge. Um, you feel like your body is your enemy. You feel like it's turned against you. So you dissociate or you live in your head instead of being in your body, which frankly can feel pretty shitty. 
And it's also terrifying because there's a lot of PTSD having to do with Lyme and chronic illness. Um, I, I'm gonna go to another doctor and just be told I'm crazy again, or I'm gonna get my hopes up thinking that this person is gonna help me and I'm just gonna get my hopes crashed. You know, my, my dreams crashed again. And a lot of the people just give up, um, thankfully not fully, cause they eventually, you know, contact me or whatever. Um, but it is out of desperation and they're so afraid to trust their bodies because they feel like the body's betrayed them. Um, so it's, um, yeah, I think it's a really important part of healing. And what's really exciting about with what you're doing with energy healing and, and with your clients is that we know it takes a while for science and medicine and technology to catch up to things that we intuitively know. Like we know that with Chinese medicine, it always just worked. And now we're learning that there's science proving that these herbs are actually effective and more effective than antibiotics, for example, right? So it took us thousands of years to get there, but we're starting to learn that that science is starting to back and prove things about energy healing as well. And we're really excited to see in the future what we continue to prove scientifically that you already knew intuitively that's helping thousands of people in, you know, in, in your practice. But before we go on to, to really get geek out on all this fun stuff, I want to come back to your journey and your diagnosis. So I, we know at, at, at around 49, right before you turned 50, you 45, finally, 45. Oh, sorry, 45, you finally got a Lyme disease diagnosis. So when did Lyme come back on the table? And then how did you get your diagnosis? Um, well, uh, synchronicity is a real thing. Um, I started to see a lot of clients who had Lyme. I started to pick it up more in my readings. And I thought, well, okay, nothing's a coincidence here. Um, I knew something was still quite off with my body. And I said, okay, listening guys, you know, you're, you're telling me something and I need to, to pursue this. So um, I went back to the naturopath I'd seen when I was 17 who I'd seen on and off. And I said, there's, oh, well, actually, first of all, I went to a regular doctor who did the traditional Lyme tests. And of course, nothing came back positive. Gee, big surprise. Um, but I'm like, no, there's still, there's something not right. And I didn't, I just kept hearing, I'm seeing these clients now for a reason. It's directing me somewhere. So went to this naturopath and I said, there's something not right. And so he has, um, non-traditional ways of testing, which are incredibly accurate. But anyway, um, turns out he picked up um, not only Lyme, every co-infection mold and chronic fatigue virus and high toxicity levels. And I was like, damn it. And he said, you have probably had this since you were a kid. Um, you've been treating it symptomatically, holistically, which is why you are not in a bed, you know, dying with no brain function. Um, and for whatever reason, um, you know, you have a strong constitution, you have this, this spiritual practice, this is all probably what kept you from being really, really sick because I definitely, you know, had pretty intense stressors in my life. So. Okay. Let's talk about that because we hear about testing all the time and people, it drives me crazy when people say, well, I got a Lyme test and I'm negative and people that are somewhat in the community don't realize how inaccurate traditional Lyme testing is, both the ELISA and the Western blot. So talk to us quickly about how inaccurate traditional testing is and then what testing you did with your naturopath to overcome that. Sure. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that the CDC and like I'm speaking, speaking to the choir here, but, you know, the CDC and traditional medicine has been so behind and so closed off 
in terms of expanding testing or um, verifying things because if it's not CDC approved, insurance won't pay for it. Um, and their, their definitions of what is a positive test are so narrow, like you have to have a certain number of bands. You can't just have one band, that's not enough, you know? Um, and so from what I've been able to tell, the testing standards have not changed since the 70s. You know, it's still the same crap. And if you don't pass the less sensitive test, then they don't give you the more sensitive test. And they certainly don't test for co-infections. It's just the straight Lyme bacteria. So they're missing everything. You guys already know that. Um, and so alternative companies have um, designed these more sensitive tests or different ways of getting around it. And I don't, I'm not up on all the super latest research because I know there's a lot of things going on all the time, which is great. Um, so it didn't, it really didn't surprise me that thing I said, come back negative. I was kind of used to that in traditional medicine anyway. You know, your thyroid's fine. Yeah, no, it's not. Um, my doctor, um, he, I have to be a little bit careful about what I say because he is non-traditional um, and non-traditional practitioners um, are not always looked upon kindly. They're, they're targets, Katie. So right. they, they are there, certainly there targets okay. and, okay. and we can say it. Great, great, great. So um, he used an electronic frequency machine that he's used for 40 something years. Um, it picks up anything in your body, whether it's toxicity or candida or parasites or hormone imbalances or whatever the hell it is. Um, he picks it up and you, you kind of hold this thing and he points the other side at your arm and picks up electronic frequencies. And some of it is, um, you know, you do an intake before, so he kind of has an idea of what to check for. Um, but also, um, you know, his own intuition, my intuition was like this, there's something just not right. And I'm getting all these Lyme clients. So let's go in that direction. Um, and he also then uses that machine to, um, to determine which supplements, homeopathic remedies, whatever work for your symptoms in your body. So there's very little experimentation or guesswork. It's very much designed for you, individualized treatment, individualized things. Um, and then, but being a clinician, I said, okay, totally trust you, you know, known you forever, but I want to, I run a, you know, recommend clients come and see you and I need some more empirical data. So he explained that when you've had chronic Lyme or it's been buried in the system for so long, that's a lot of why it doesn't come up on traditional tests. So he said, I'm going to give you some stuff that's going to kick up this Lyme and make it more um, findable by the body. It's not going to make you feel worse. It's just going to, you know, and he said, once we do that, um, we can do blood tests. He said, and I said, well, we do, we need to do fancy blood tests, whatever. He goes, no, let's just do regular old crappy quest test, you know, regular traditional, whatever. Um, so he kicked, he kicked up my symptoms, did all of the blood tests for the co-infections and the chronic fatigue virus and everything. And every single thing on his machine came up positive in those blood tests. So that was a huge confirmation that 
you know, that, yeah, I did have all this stuff and not that I needed it, but I wanted it clinically. Katie, a couple of follow-ups on that. So the testing that your practitioner did, that's called muscle testing, correct? No, it's actually no? through an electronic frequency machine. Oh, really? Yes. Is there, is there, so that's what it's called. There's no name for it. There's no. Uh, it's, it's called a Vega, V-E-G-A. Um, it's used a lot in Europe, um, but there's other kind of forms of electronic frequency machine testing as well. Um, I do know people who've done muscle testing stuff. I do, you know, there's a lot of different, different things that you can do. So it also sounds like that you, you've given us some tips here. If people don't have a positive test and they're seeking to get one and they, they either had a clinical diagnosis or suspect Lyme, there are things that you can do. So, so you, what kind of things did you do to bring out the Lyme? We've heard people tell us that they've gone in the infrared sauna to bring out the Lyme. We've had people tell us that they've done some light exercise to bring out the Lyme. And the goal is to make it active in your blood and come out of the tissue where it's not detectable. So it comes up on a blood test. So what specific things did you do to bring out the Lyme in your traditional quest blood work? So you can have that definitive blood work that's accepted by traditional, you know, Western medicine, you know, what what were the things that you did for that? Um, He used certain herbals um, and homeopathic remedies to bring them out. I don't know exactly what they were. Don't remember um, anymore. Um, But it was a combination of things that he had used in the past to help bring this up. But it was all natural natural stuff. And some promising testing news out there right now, this, this week, actually, uh, the Cohen Foundation and their, and their Limex project just announced they're having this, this large competition for private companies to come up with the best Lyme testing. And they're going to award a, a massive grant to the winner of this. So hopefully over the next you know year to two, they're gonna be, there's going to be some better testing out there, thanks to the Cohen Foundation. And, and hopefully that will be much more widely accepted in things like, like muscle testing and the, the Vega. But I do want to go back to that. So talk to us about the difference between muscle testing and then the you know, electronic frequency Vega testing that you had done. So I'm not an expert in muscle testing by any means. Um, but from, from what I understand, you either hold a substance or hold a bottle or the practitioner asks a question and then they try to push down, you know, on your arm or other muscles and you, depending on your resistance, um, that shows that you, you know, have something or don't have something. And as I said, I'm not an expert in that mostly because I've relied on this practitioner, um, and other people who do that. Um, and with the electronic frequency stuff, um, you kind of set a, a, a dial on whatever your machine is. Let's say there's a certain setting for um, a co-infection or for candida or something. Um, and then you put a vial of the, the remedy for that in the machine. Um, and then you're touched with this like electrode probe, there's electronic probe, um, no, you know, doesn't hurt or anything like that. And you see how your body responds on the machine um, based on that remedy and that setting. And that's, I'm not great at explaining it. I don't, you know, know all the ins and outs, but um, it's, they specifically look for certain things and then see if the frequency of that comes up in your system. And so essentially once they find these things, they know then what to treat you with based on the testing as well, it sounds like. That, yes, that's correct. And you, you check in once a month um, or every other month, and then you can get, 
you can see your progress. So you can see if it's working, if it's not working, if they need to change either the dosage or they need to add something or um, whatever. And what one of the things I really like about him is he starts with a very gentle detox because, and this is important for people to recognize, if your body's toxic, meaning if it has infections, if it has viruses, if you have shit tons of supplements going through your body, whatever it is, you're exposed to mold, whatever, your body's in a toxic state. So whatever you introduce into that, even supplements, even healthy stuff, your body can treat those as another toxin because it's overloaded. And that is often what, in my opinion, my experience, that's often what people refer to as herxing. Um, but in my mind, it's your body responding to yet another thing that you're putting in there that your body has to respond to. So if you gently detox first and then you treat slowly, um, you know, at no time did I experience any herxing ever. And that's a big deal. Um, so Katie, do you think that it's twofold, for example. So meaning that before you got treated, your body had active pathogens, viruses, bacteria, protozoa, parasites, et cetera, but it also had, it also had toxins or, or, or dead pathogens in your body, but you weren't able to detox those dead toxins and therefore you were just becoming more and more toxic. And the fear could be that once you treated and you killed some of the active pathogens, your toxic load would increase and therefore you'd experience a pretty great herx. And that's why you had to detox out and open up your pathways before you treated. Do you think that's really what the, the thought process is there? I do. And at the time I was diagnosed, I was all organic. I didn't use any chemicals. I couldn't. I was so freaking sensitive to everything. Another Lyme symptom. Um, so sensitive to everything that I couldn't tolerate any artificial stuff or fragrances or whatever. So I was really, you know, as chemical free as you can be. And my toxicity level came out to be equivalent to an 80 year old person. And I was 45. So it was like, okay, that's, that's an issue. And the reason we're stressing this is because we've had many podcast guests tell us that they jumped right into aggressive treatment yeah. and they got really sick. In yeah. fact, they got worse and it caused in some cases, long-term permanent damage because yes. of it, right? So they, in, in hindsight, they said, I really had to detox first and open up my drainage pathways. Otherwise, you know, how can you possibly heal? And that was a mistake many people have made. So how did your practitioner help you a detox, you know, the things that you had in you already that were, that could be expelled and B open up your detox pathways to help your body process everything as you're now moving forward to a kill protocol with, with the next steps. Yes. This is such an important topic because I personally don't believe in heavy duty detoxes. I don't think you have to starve. I don't think you have to do massive amounts of liver cleaners. I don't, I don't think that's necessary and it puts your body under more stress. So I think it can be a detrimental. Um, he uses very gentle, but effective homeopathic remedies. And they're, you know, depending on who you are, it's a little bit, di bit different for everybody. But um, my toxicity level went down to a 30 year old, you know, and, and I didn't have to starve. I didn't have to do anything that could make my body feel worse. Um, and he started with that. And then as we did different forms of treatment, we continued with that to kind of help all the crud get out of there more. The homeopathics truly were beneficial for you from opening, opening up detox pathways and, and, and drainage. 
And I think it's important out there are a wide variety of herbs that can help with that. For example, Rich yes. and I both take the Restore Kit by Dr. Rawls. And part of that protocol, in addition to having antimicrobial properties, is an entire bottle dedicated to detox and opening up drainage pathways to help the body holistically heal and process things out. You don't want to take a singular approach and just kill because you're going exactly. to have issues if you do that, it sounds like. Exactly. And also, I think it's very important to get rid of as many chemicals in your life as possible. So, you know, heavily um, filter your water. Most water filters are crap. They filter out very little. And you need to do something that can get the pharmaceuticals and the fluoride and the every other freaking thing under the sun that's in our environment as much as humanly possible. Um, you know, plastics and cosmetic products and fragrant artificial fragrances are toxic. Like people don't know this and they're all adding to your toxic load. And then you wonder why you can't handle walking into a candle store because it's all toxic. Um, so yeah, it's personal responsibility in terms of um, nurturing your body and getting rid of as much crap as you can too plays a role. Katie, talk to us about how you measure your toxicity levels, because you said that you, you had the toxicity of an 80 year old. And then after using these homeopathic remedies and herbs, you got your toxicity down to, you know, a 30 year old. Yeah. So how did your practitioner test you for that? It was the Vega machine. So now is, are there any other alternatives out there or, you know, that, that can help test like this? Or do you recommend people just see a naturopathic doctor and use something like the Vega machine to measure these things? Because, you know, as, as a, an IT professional myself, I like to see data and that's real exactly. data that you can see to make your progress. So is exactly. that, would that be a recommendation to really measure your levels before and then track your progress as you move forward? I think it's important to get a baseline of whatever, you know, you're treating or whatever you're working on because seeing progress is very motivating and it and helps you keep going and do what you're doing and take care of yourself. And, um, there are other types of machines. Um, there may be ways to do it with muscle testing too. Um, there are other ways to do it that I'm not as familiar with just because I really trust this. Um, and when I make recommendations, it's very important to me to have known this person personally, to have talked to them. Um, you know, I have connections with people all over the place, even in other parts of the world, but, you know, I have talked to them. I've made the attempt to, what do you do? What's your how do you work? You know, how do you work with people? What is your philosophy? Um, because I don't ever want to have somebody go to somebody that is just gonna let them down again or, or not give them the right treatment or make things worse. So Katie, what did you finally do now that you had these, this positive now, you know, Vega test, and now also you followed up the positive, you know, traditional blood work. Right. What did you do to treat the wide variety of things that pop positive, including Lyme disease? Okay, so um, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. Um, physically, we did, we continued with, um, you know, the herbals and the natural antibiotics and the, all that homeopathic stuff. Um, he also uses a Rife machine. Rife is controversial. Alternative practitioner stuff is controversial. Um, so the, the Rife machine for people who don't know about that is there, the good ones have two steps. Um, every bug, every parasite, every virus, whatever has its own frequency. Um, plants have their own, whatever we all have our own frequencies. So the first step is to, um, detect 
the electronic frequency of what is in your body. So you, I don't know the exact mechanism. However, um, they ran my body through this electronic pathway, if you will. I held on to metal things and it went through the machine. And they were able to detect the electronic frequencies of my exact co-infections and viruses and, and all that sort of thing. Um, there's a diagnostic component to that in that you can see what your loads are and you can see how much of the things you have. And as you're being treated, you can see the loads go down. You can see, oh, wow, we're not detecting this co-infection anymore, but there's still some of this. So that was very helpful. The second part is that you then program these frequency numbers into the rife treatment and um, electronic signals are sent through your body and it actually does the killing of these viruses and bugs and, and things. Now, it's a wacky world. You know, it's, it's all, my husband walked in one time I was doing, he's like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> like, this is insane. And I'm like, it's helping me. I'm just going with it. You know, I feel like for me, that was um, an important component. Um, you can buy high quality rife machines to use at home. They're not cheap. Um, a lot of people overuse them. They kind of, you know, go crazy on them and then you can do more harm than good sometimes. But for me, it was a combination physically of the rife and the natural supplements and things. Um, Emotionally, I decided, first I was totally freaked out. So I'm like, holy shit. Um, but I decided I was not gonna be a patient. I was not gonna use the word Lyme. I was not going to say my symptoms or my Lyme. I was not gonna take ownership of this. I was not going to become a diagnosis. And I did everything I was supposed to do, but I was not going to take this on as my identity. So, that was a big deal for me. Um, spiritually, I said, okay, why is this happening? What is the lesson? What do I need to change? How am I not listening to my intuition? How am I not being authentic? I physically wrote to the Lyme disease. And I said, why are you here? What do I need to learn? What am I not doing, et cetera? And it said, it is time to write the proposal for the book that you were supposed to write a long time ago that you knew where you were going to write when you're 16. So uh, get on it. I don't care if you're scared. I don't care if you're not a writer. It's time. So wrote my proposal, many, many drafts, got a lot of help. Uh, my book is being published in February. Um, but it was like, we're going to scare the shit out of you. Thank you. Yeah, we're going to scare the shit out of you until you do what you're supposed to do. So Katie, I do, I, there's so many follow-up questions I have to everything you just said. <laughs> so I'm going to try to go one by one on this. Okay. I just want to make sure I understand because you're really explaining this very well. And I want to make sure okay. that we understand this in, in a proper manner. So the Vega machine, which is the electronic frequency that allowed you to get diagnosed and then confirmed by traditional blood work and also told you how to treat was one means of electronic frequency that you used in the beginning. Yes. Then you got put through a machine by your naturopathic doctor, an electronic machine where you literally like almost got scanned through like a scanner yes. and it scanned your entire body to determine where in your body the various pathogens were, the Lyme, the Babesia, whatever it may be, the mold. And then, and then once you knew where to basically body map, right, you then use the Rife machine to target those areas for those specific frequencies for those specific pathogens. And that is what you did to treat. Is that correct? 
Very well said, Matt. Okay, I just want to make sure I'm understanding it because yeah. really it makes sense, right? And it, right? It's, it's powerful. And we've had a lot of other guests tell us they've experienced great benefit from Rife. And again, it seems so bizarre, but it makes sense, right? Great time. So you did mention that you could overuse Rife and a lot of people do that. So what is the disadvantage or what are the risks of overusing a Rife machine with these frequencies? How can it harm you? Really important. I went for Rife treatments once every four to six weeks. That's how powerful it is. Um, the home machines, some of them are not very powerful at all. Some of them are pretty powerful. I have clients who are understandably so sick and tired of being sick and tired and they just want to get better and they do rife every day or they set the settings so high thinking it's going to help them. And I keep hearing from my guides, you're overdoing it, you're overdoing it. And sometimes they're mentally in a position to hear me. Sometimes they're not, you know, um, but it's like anything else. If you, if you over treat with anything, it's going to overload your body. Your body needs time to rest in between treatments, just like your body needs rest in between exercise periods. That's when your body renews. That's when it's like sleep. People's need sleep for a reason. You renew and refresh and rebuild cells. So if you're constantly treating or over-treating, no matter what it is, whether it's herbals, whether it's whatever, um, you don't give your body time to rest. You don't give your immune system time to kick up and work on its own. And you're really putting your body through a lot of stress. So is that really like a Herx, like we talked about, where some of our past guests would over, you know, treat too aggressively, have a Herx, and then get really even worse? Yes. So they over-treat with Rife, they're not allowing their bodies to respond and remove the toxins, and they're just getting sicker and sicker and sicker because of a toxic overload of kill-off, basically, is what I think I'm hearing. You're very good at this, Matt. Yes. I, you know, I just want to make sure I'm understanding. You're, you're, a little, you're a little too smart for me, Katie, so I have to make sure I'm understanding what you're saying. That's why I keep asking you to clarify. So... So now the other part is you keep mentioning supplements as well. And I don't know if you know specifically, because obviously a lot of these naturopathic doctors will yeah. give you tinctures and things, but you know what specific supplements and herbs you took in, in tandem to the rice treatment? I do not. And they changed. They changed depending on how my body was responding. However, um, I always took a really good multi that was um, methylated based. And what I mean by that, a lot of people who are sick or whatever have the MTHFR gene, you guys know about that, which makes it hard for your body to detox and to process B vitamins and all that. So um, made sure I took a good multi um, with methylated Bs. Um, I took omega-3 fatty acids, a pretty high dose for inflammation and things. Um, I used very concentrated turmeric um, for inflammation. Um, and there were various other things that I had, you know, used to um, support my adrenals, for example, um, rhodiola and ashwagandha, which are adaptogens, still use those because it's very stressful on your body to both be sick and to heal. So your, you know, your adrenals are kind of pumped up. Um, and I did things to support my hormones, which were already wonky and and stuff like that. So there were things that I was doing individually, but his stuff um, were things I never heard of, to be perfectly honest with you. And um, and it changed a lot depending on how my body was responding. So, so let's, let's pivot away from the physical healing, right? Because you hit on some things that really resonated with me that you, talk, you talked about, you could not let Lyme become your identity. 
you could not say it's my Lyme. And then you had to say that, that you really had to just treat it as I'm not a sick person. I'm not a Lyme patient. I'm going to get better. Right. And that's really important because it's, we've come into contact with a lot of people in the community who, who call it my Lyme, who say I'm sick for life. I'm never going to get better. And frankly, we believe, or I believe, when you have that mindset, you're not going to get better, right? So talk to us about the importance of being able to, to separate your illness from your identity and why if you cobble them together, you're not going to heal. Yeah. And I don't want to offend anyone when I say this, but even putting like the lime ribbon on, on your social media or, um, or I've seen people who they have lime in their Instagram names or they like, they are that that disease, you know, that's how they identify themselves now. And, and even calling yourself a Lyme warrior, like I, I get it. And people do need to, to fight, but at the same time, we don't always have to fight. It's not always a battle. And what if we looked at it differently and said, maybe this didn't happen because we're bad people or because we deserve bad things to happen or, or, what if it happened like to freaking teach us something or to help us to learn that we need to put ourselves first or to do self-care? And I've seen people over and over again who in their lives, they didn't think they had a right to speak up for themselves or they didn't think they had a right to take time off or to not be a workaholic or to say no to their kids or to get out of shitty marriages. And because they got sick, it gave them what they considered a viable excuse to rest or say no or take care of themselves. And I'm like, the key is to listen to yourself and take care of yourself without meeting the symptoms to force you into doing it. And and I'm not saying that it's anybody's fault. I'm not saying we cause it. I'm not saying anything like that. And I've been accused of being an ableist before, and that's not at all what I'm saying, but it's instead of looking at life, like all these bad things happen to me and I'm not safe and bad things are going to keep happening and there's no hope. What if you turned it around and said, you know, what, what positive things have come out of this, even if you totally feel horrible and I'm not trying to diminish anybody's experience, you know, it's a fine line. Um, But, but for me and for a lot of, a lot of people I work with, it's, how have how has this changed your life and how would you be different had this not happened to you you know and how has it helped you find your spirituality um or get out of crappy situations or whatever and a lot of people will say it sucked but a lot of good things came from it too and katie rich is going to go into that much deeper with you shortly but i have a couple more follow-up questions because you know, and, and everything you're saying, I think you're right, is controversial in the Lyme community because it triggers certain people. And right. I can tell you that I've been on both sides of what you're discussing. I've been on the side where I was triggered by what you just said, sure, but I've yeah. had to grow and learn and, and really heal to be able to accept what you're saying and, and acknowledge the truth behind it. And I think another piece about that is people are afraid to get better because they no longer have that crutch to lean on to say, it's because of my Lyme disease, I can't do this. It's because of my Lyme disease, I couldn't I couldn't keep up with this at work, right? I, you know, I'm not smart yeah. enough to get a, to pass this class because it was my Lyme disease. And then they almost, they almost don't want to get better. So what are your thoughts on that about people almost accepting their illness and using it as a crutch and having a fear to actually healing? 
it's not just Lyme. It's, it's everything, you know, it's everything. It's even as somebody who had depression and then I didn't have it anymore. And it was like, okay, I'm feeling things now. And feeling things means I kind of have to act on them and I can't push them down anymore. And that's scary. So I could not use mental illness as what I considered an excuse for not living or for not speaking up. Um, unfortunately, we don't encourage people, even young kids to be authentic or use their voices. Um, we encourage them to push their feelings down and work really hard and don't take time off. You know, don't use your sick days. There's like a medal for that or something. Um, and instead of being like, you know, I need rest, I'm human. It's not, there's not something wrong with me. I'm, I'm more strong if more strong, I am stronger if I can ask for help. You know, if I can say this is wrong and I need support with it or, or I need to change something, you know, it's, it's looked upon as a weakness to take care of yourself. And I think this, that perpetuates this whole, I need to be sick to, to do it. I think that's really powerful what you just said. You want to flip it on its head. If you have a fear, if you're listening and you have a fear of getting better because you feel you're going to disappoint and, you, and you're no longer going to have an excuse because you think, well, maybe I'm damaged from Lyme. And if I get better, my, I'm not as smart as I used to be. You know what? It's okay to say I need help. It's okay to say I'm struggling and you don't have to have your illness to, to lean on that as a crutch for, I think is what you're saying. And, and the, the, another piece I want, to, I want to really address is, I just found it so powerful when you said you wrote to Lyme, right? So I, I, I pictured you literally sitting there writing a letter to Lyme disease, not your Lyme disease, to Lyme disease saying, hey, what the hell, get away, right? And, and then- well, actually, it wasn't what the hell, get away. So, so tell us more, what was it? Okay, so I wanna go back to what you said for just a second. Um, I see a lot of people in really bad marriages who get no attention or care from their spouses. And then once they get sick, that's the first time they ever get attention or are being you know, told to. So sometimes they're afraid if I get better, I'll have to get out of this stupid marriage. So that's just, a, just an aside. Um, so yes, this is a Jungian technique. Carl Jung, I cannot take credit for it. And it's a way to connect to your intuition. It's a way to connect to people who have passed away and it's a way to connect to your body and your symptoms. And I wrote to it as my friend and said, okay, um, you're here. Um, what is your message? What do I need to learn? How am I not being true to myself? Why did you need to come along and get my attention? Um, how are you helpful? You know, why did this happen? Um, that was the eating disorder. That's how I healed from the eating disorder, writing to it, saying, why are you here? You know, not, not as an enemy, as a friend, and asking your right. friend, why are you here? What do I need to do? Right. How can I help to nurture you? How can I heal you? Um, how can I notice your signals before you have to knock me on my ass and get me sick? You know? Um, yeah. And I just, it's scary. It's scary to do that because then you, you have to do stuff and you have to challenge yourself and you have to write your proposal and you're not a writer and stuff. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know. Well, I cannot wait to read your book. You said in February oh. it's coming out. Yeah. It's on, it's available for presale now everywhere but um yeah it's coming out in uh in february okay so we're definitely going to drop the link for the pre-sale in the show notes of this podcast anybody listening there'll be a link in the show notes to go take a look to uh pre-order it but 
So I do want to come back to your, your journey specifically, but you're giving us so much great information here, Katie, that once you started treating with the, with the rife and then your supplements and your tinctures, and then of course the non-physical dis- items we just discussed, was there anything else that we missed that you used to treat that you felt was a very effective tool that you want to share with the audience? Not that I can think of. Um, yeah, I mentioned the diet and the, the metaphysical stuff. And I think I just, I really tried hard to listen to my intuition and let it tell me what I needed to do in terms of healing and living and, and being open instead of trying to be a control freak like I had learned to be my whole life and think that I had to have my agenda work out. Like, like a lot of the times it's like, why am I not better yesterday? Why am I not getting better faster? Why am I, you know, um, helping myself be patient with myself, being open to this agenda of healing, no matter how long it took. Um, So it was just trying to reframe things and let spirit, God, whatever, be a part of my healing. So one thing I really want to focus on, many people in, in this community have developed anxiety and depression and psychological symptoms that they didn't have until they got sick. And you were battling and struggling with those, those symptoms since you were a young child. So 40 plus around 40 years. Yeah. And, and what we hear all the time is they're never going to go away. Even if I get better physically, I'm ne- I'm always going to be anxious and depressed and I'm never going to be able to live a good life. But you hinted at the fact that your Lyme and your, your anxiety and depression are almost gone. So give us some hope here about all the things you did to treat. How did you start to feel better now that you treated your root cause? Yeah. Um, I slowly started to have less brain fog and my joints weren't achy anymore and my stomach got better. And, um, but the most miraculous thing to me was the depression went away. It, it went away. And I cut down, like I was able to cut down on my antidepressants. I had been on for 30 freaking years, um, get down to really low dose. It's when you've been on in that long, there's the whole withdrawal issue. So that's a whole nother show, but, um, but you know, so there's that, but I was able to cut down a lot on that, but, um, and the anxiety, while I will always be a type A person, we create our own anxiety. Um, you know, that went down considerably. Um, I was able to sleep better, not still not a great sleeper, able to sleep better. Um, my mood overall, I just had, I had less sensitivity to things. So I wasn't triggered as much. I could, you know, look at one of those commercials with those animals being abused and not like collapse into tears. Um, I wasn't as chemically sensitive. Um, So it, it was just all of these subtle and not so subtle things that I just slowly started to feel, you know, better. But my energy, God, you know, I was exhausted all the time. I got, had more energy and more motivation. Um, yeah, I fully believe that you can heal. I really do. My final question before I hand you over to Rich for your transformation and to, to go deeper in that end is looking back at your entire journey. If you had to provide some hacks, shortcut, shortcuts and tips to our audience that's in the throes of it right now, what would be some tips that you can recommend to them to help them not have to suffer as long as you did throughout your journey? Um, I think a huge part of it is self-acceptance, accepting this is where I'm at. It doesn't mean you're not going to get better, but 
I'm going to stop fighting so hard and start listening. I'm going to connect to my intuition, learn what I need to be an, as an authentic person. You know, who are the people in my life who are not doing me any good? Um, how do I need to speak up? What can I do for self-care and stress relief? So that is huge because I believe that symptoms are signals from our intuition that we're not on the right track. So listening to all that, um, exercise, even if you can't get out of bed, try to move something, you know, move your, there's little machines that you can put on a table to just move your arms. Um, some movement, because physical and emotional illness gets trapped in our bodies. And I believe that we physically need to get it out. Um, it's also a great distraction. Um, so, you know, work on that. Um, don't give up, don't give up, don't give up, don't give up. Um, and, and don't doubt yourself, like trust yourself. You know, there's something there, even if, you know, a million people have said they're not, I mean, trust yourself, but also I think it's important not to become obsessed with trying to heal too, because that can be another addiction way that we push our feelings down and don't deal with our lives and ourselves. So try to have a life outside of your illness, even if it's just little stuff, like, like whatever, it doesn't have to be earth shattering, but just try to do something else besides just focus on, on healing. Um, because that gets really old and stuff. So just stuff like that. Um, you know, eat as well as you can listen to your body, listen to the foods that work and don't. Um, um, yeah. So can you talk with Matt about how you triggered your transformation through Lyme, right? That you, that you wrote to your friend Lyme disease, you asked your friend why the bacteria and its fellow co-infections were there yep. and what it is that you were supposed to learn from that. Now, how did that help you to scrape away all that was interfering with your ability to listen to your intuition in its purest sense? That's a great question. Um, one thing it did is it got me out of, I deserve to be punished mode, or this is karma mode, or there's something wrong with me and I'm never going to feel better mode. Um, it was very empowering. When you're sick, you don't feel very empowered. It was my way of saying, I am going to actively participate in my healing, um, not feel angry, not feel like a victim. Um, I am going to kind of just acceptance was a big deal. Like I'm accepting that this is what happened in my life. So, so you ended, you ended the grief cycle. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. That's a great way of putting it. Yeah. So talk to us about how you felt after you ended the grief cycle and after you were a pure intuitive, meaning you were listening to your body. How did you feel about all the doctors you had treated with for 40 years who were interfering with your ability to heal by interfering with you listening to your intuition in its purest sense? Yeah, um, from a very early age, I was never 
big, huge fan of doctors. You know, I got taken to a lot of gastroenterologists and, and things and um, nobody had any answers anyway. So I really didn't have a lot of faith in traditional medicine. There are some amazing traditional medicine doctors, um, but there's also a lot that are not amazing. Um, but there's a lot of alternative people who are great and not great too. So it's not just, it's not just that. Um, I felt even more um, betrayed, um, even more like something is very wrong with our medical education system. Um, we're not teaching people, teaching medical students about nutrition. Like it's only recently that they tell you to take vitamin D or take vitamin D levels. Naturopaths have been doing that for freaking decades. You know, so they're pretty late to the game. And I was like, I just need to keep trusting myself, not just myself, because we need other people's input. Um, but, you know, it, it really affirmed all of the times when I'm like, there's something not right and it's not being addressed. Um, so I need to take ownership and I need to do more. And, and I am more empowered than I thought I was. So I'm actually asking the question a little differently. I think I'm asking a different question. And that yeah. is, we began our conversation with you saying that with the patients that you're treating, every patient is physiologically different. Every Lyme case presents differently. We know that because the permutation of what is spit into you is going to be different. The co-infections or, or the protozoa, I mean, it's going to be a different combination spit into you. So first, each person is going to be different and their capacity to manage these, uh, these pathogens are gonna be different. The pathogens that are spit in are gonna be different. The number of different times that they were bitten and had pathogens spit into them is going to be diverse in, in, right. in a lot of different, uh, different ways. So Lyme presents very differently in every single person, right? Yep. So even though we're all excited, for example, about the Lymex testing, I'm not as excited as Matt is quite frankly, because I don't think we're gonna come up with a test that's going to be specific enough for every single person. Yeah. But I believe there is a test and that is your intuition, which is why I think this podcast is so brilliant and you've been so brilliant here, right? Because the real test is empowering people to rely on their own intuition yeah. to determine whether or not it's working or not. We don't need these you know, these, uh, these rice machines and we don't need all of these other tests to confirm what we ourselves should know and doctors should be empowering us to know. But what always happens to us and what happened to you every single time you went to a doctor, despite being an intuitive and that being your gift is that you were invalidated. We've had, we've had guests tell us that they had to look at the emotion wheel because they, they don't know how to feel anymore because they're not allowed to feel, right? Yeah. So that's really the question I'm asking you. Now that you've become a pure intuitive, now that your gifts have been revealed and they didn't get revealed until you got through the stages that you got through to acceptance. Yes, fully, fully. Now sure. looking back, didn't every doctor you saw invalidate you? Didn't every one of them tell you that they knew better than you knew yourself? And didn't everyone tell you that because I don't have a test, I have to give you some way of masking your intuition and the messages that you should be getting from your line? Yeah, I would have to say like 90% of them did. It was the people who were willing to look outside the box 
who are willing to listen to me, even with that hormone imbalance thing, um, who said, you know what, there's something to this. I'm going to take the time to listen to you and take you seriously and look at other possibilities. And um, it was the people who, a lot of them had been in practice for a while. So they had seen a lot of different things, um, but sadly the vast majority were just very, I have my 15 minutes. I have my time with, that the insurance company pays for. I have these tests the insurance company pays for and they'll, they'll pay for your meds and I'm really not taking it any farther than that. So, yeah. All right, so what, what doctors really need to do is they need to see us as the doctor, us as the test, and they need to empower us, not just to listen to us, but to empower us to use our intuition as the vehicle for determining whether or not we are sick and what they're offering us as solutions are in fact going to work. That we really have to heal ourselves and we have to be empowered to heal ourselves. Yeah, and you also have to be a little bit careful with that in that um, there are people who are very, who are afraid of healing. So they are terrified that they're not going to get better and it's, and being ill is a comfortable place for them. And more importantly, my guides are telling me to tell you, um, they just want to look at the physical. They're not willing to look at the emotional and spiritual piece of it. Well, but isn't your intuition really bringing the whole person together? I mean, look, we, we like to articulate ourselves or describe ourselves as physical people and emotional people and spiritual people, but we're not all of the, we're not those individual things. Right, it's right. all one, right? Exactly. And because exactly. it's all one, the only way that we can merge all of this, going back to the conversation you had with Matt before, where we disassociate emotionally and physically, Right. We didn't talk about sp spiritual disassociation during that conversation, but why don't we bring the entire person together and now see us as one. And when we see us as one and we have sort of that flow, I think it's been right. Is, is right. described, right? Now we have, now we have the in intuitive messages that are necessary for us to heal. Absolutely. Right? That yeah. we don't feel comfortable in a place where we're sick and we don't take on an identity where we're sick because we're not segregating our our being yes yes exactly yeah um yeah that's very that's very true i was going to say something and i can't remember what i was going to say so maybe it'll come to me later but yes so let's 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 talk a little bit more about again your journey now right so you know you went through this transformation that really didn't take place until you got your diagnosis right i mean you were becoming purer and purer and purer and you were relying you were learning more about your intuitive self but it wasn't until you got your diagnosis that you were able to finally get through the healing process that got you to 100 so talk to us about that portion of your journey why a diagnosis was so important um well actually my guys are also telling me to tell you another important piece of the why the writing to my lyme disease and it kind of relates to what you're saying is they told me that going through this healing process and the diagnostic process and everything would help me to be a better helper to the people coming to me who had Lyme. So, so that was a, I was like, okay, so it just helps me be better at my job. You know, it, I've always known since I healed from the eating disorder, I'm here to help other people. That's part of why I was, went through all this shit. So it's like, okay, I can do that. You know, um, 
So, so there's that. And um, well, but say with that, so, because really, aren't we all here to help each other? Isn't it what we're all supposed to be doing? And isn't that really what the truest transformation is? That you have to, you have to be stripped of all of these sort of personal desires that you have to become yeah. the person that you were created to be, which is to help to contribute to the larger world. So much so, and I cannot tell you the number of people who go through these illnesses or healing journeys, whatever, and learn about these spiritual gifts that they have or learn, you know what, I'm really not into being an accountant. I want to be a health coach or I want to go back to school and be a naturopath or be an herbalist or like I was not on my right path until this happened. And, um, and I had to make these changes and look at myself differently, you know, or okay, you could, you could be a different type of accountant. You could still yeah. be an accountant. Right, right, you right. Could still, you could still work within the confines of those gifts that God has given to you with that mathematical mind. Right. But now you're going to be a different type of accountant, right? Exactly. And I have this thing that I like to call the feather or the sledgehammer. And if we listen to our intuition, when it gently brushes up against us, and we're like, okay, I'm a little tired, I need to rest, or I have a little bit of a sore throat, I need to address that or whatever the thing is, then if we ignore the feather, we have to get head over, hit over the head with a sledgehammer. And we've all been there. So. Right, and, and unfortunately, Katie, one of the reasons why we are often hit over the head with sledgehammers in the medical community is because we've been invalidated by the medical system yeah. and the people that we come in contact with. And that's the last piece I'd like to talk with you about your transformation, because one of the things that's really important when you're on a Lyme disease journey is you have to know when to pivot from one doctor to another, right? Yeah. And what we've seen consistently as a pattern, Ali Hilfiger as I think the, the, the best example, where the reason she healed is because she took a piece from every single doctor. And what she said yeah. was she had, to, she had to go from one doctor to another, but not until she's completed the protocol that that particular doctor had for her. And then after that doctor's protocol was, was completed, then she needed to pivot to another. And she probably saw 15 or 16 different yeah. um a healthcare professional, some of the big stars who a lot of people think individually would have healed them. And they think that will happen where, where in fact, Ali went to many, many of these people before she could get to a place where she had, she had healed. So talk to us about how we can react to the feather, which is telling us it's time to us to pivot to another doctor or another protocol. That's so important. I've had people who go to these Big name people spend a literal fortune, okay? Don't feel better or get sicker. And they stick with it because they're like, well, this guy's supposed to be the best or this is supposed to, why isn't it helping? I must be doing something wrong until they listen to their intuition, give themselves permission to not have the doctor on the pedestal and say, this person may have been able to help some people, but this is not helping me or I feel worse. And I am going to take the emotional risk of trying to find somebody else, telling my damn story yet again, opening myself up to get hurt and, and finding somebody who maybe is more aligned with my way of thinking or who is willing to um, treat differently. Like for me, antibiotics make me feel horrible. Like I was not going to get treated with antibiotics. That was just me. I knew it was not going to work for me. So I needed to work with somebody who could treat without that. Um, that was just my thing. 
not judging antibiotics. Um, you know, um, so it's figuring out what you need, what works for you and having the courage to say, this isn't working. I'm going to try somebody else and I don't owe you anything. You know, you work for me. Um, I'm going to try some other approaches. So Carrie, let's talk about the danger with having stars in the medical community, because we've had some people tell us, Hey, I'm on a waiting list. I know if I can get through that waiting list and I could work with Dr. X, I will get better. And when we hear that, I can tell you, Matt and I have this reaction like, oh, goodness, because I, we have had many people treat with Dr. X. And many of the people who were treated with Dr. X had some benefit, didn't have the benefit. Some healed, many didn't. But we have all kinds of people sort of looking to work with the star doctor and yeah. believing that if the star doctor is available to them, that they will get better. Talk about the dangers of having stars in the medical community. Yeah, um, really important. I don't think that healing from Lyme should have to make you bankrupt. I don't feel that it should have to be outrageously expensive. There are people like some of the people that I recommend who don't charge a fortune, who take insurance for some things, who will work with you on price, who don't soak you for the price of their supplements, you know, um, just because something's expensive or because somebody has written a book or whatever, doesn't mean that they're going to be the right healer for you. And um, yeah, it's not, it's not a one size fits all thing. It's not a, you know, there's a lot of good people out there who just really care about what they're doing, who have experience who maybe have had Lyme themselves, who, who knows? And I, I don't, um, yeah, I, I don't put a lot of stock in just a, a star. It's more, who is that person? What do they do? What have they done to help others? What, what kind of feel do I get when I talk to them? You know, do they feel all egoy or whatever? So I agree with you. Yeah, so we, we interviewed this beautiful young woman whose podcast uh, episode was released today. Her name is Margot Gunning. And one of the things she said was, when making a decision to work with a doctor, you should do your research, right? but you also need to rely on your gut. And uh, what I think is really beautiful about sort of following up her podcast with your podcast is you're now giving us all the tools or a lot of the tools you'll need to flesh out what it means to rely on your gut. And I, and I really appreciate, you know, you describing everything the way you did, because it's now giving us, you know, some, some, you know, some flesh on the bone of, of this, this framework that this brilliant young woman gave us last week. So we certainly want to encourage people to listen to both of your podcasts back to back, because it's a really important piece of this. So let me, let me ask you one more question about your transformation and how, uh, how it's affected you personally, not just in your healing, but now how are you a different person as a result of going on this transformation that you went through uh, with your Lyme disease journey? Um, yeah, it's, um, it's hard to even describe because I feel so different from not only just the Lyme, but every adversity that I have faced. Um, you, said, do you mean you're just more resilient because you found your purpose and you understand your tools or is there something else that's causing you to deal with your challenges differently? 
it has definitely helped me to understand how strong I am and how strong I've always been and to appreciate all the things that I have been through. Um, people often focus on what's wrong or what they think are their weaknesses instead of looking back and saying, I survived that, I survived that, I survived that. I'm strong, I'm not weak. So it's kind of another in the long list of shit I've dealt with. Um, but it, as far as the Lyme, um, before I got it, I bought the line that you can't ever recover, that you can't get it out of your body, that the only way to heal was with antibiotics, that, um, you know, it's a death sentence. Um, I didn't know any better. I just bought all that. And it helped me to see that even with something as debilitating and scary as Lyme can be, you can heal. You can have a different life. Um, you have to look at it on an individual basis. Um, you can use it to then help others and teach others things. And, um, and that you can get better from depression that I had all my freaking life, you know? So it, it, it reinforced the work that I've always done, which is look for the root cause. Look for the root cause, causes, look for the root causes. Don't just look at symptoms. There's an underlying reason, whether it's physical, emotional, spiritual, all, all three, why people feel the way they do. And it really helped reinforce that um, to the degree that, you know, nothing else really has, I think, because there were so many symptoms that were like, oh, okay, 40 years later. So, Katie, I'm going to actually challenge you on one other issue because it just came to me, and that is, you were a little sensitive about being accused of being an ableist, right? And, and this, this accusation that, um, you know, that uh, not accepting someone's disability is, is a bad thing. It's a judgmental thing, right? Or, or, or makes you a bad person. Talk to us about ableist and ableism and disableist and disableism and whether or not your transformation caused you to have a very different perspective on those concepts. Yeah, not, not stuff I spend a ton of time. I just, I'm not, I'm not like a labeler, I'm not really into, you know, um, but somebody, the person, I haven't been accused of that a lot, but somebody said, it was after I posted something positive about healing, how you can learn from your healing or something. And the person said, um, you don't know what it's really like to be sick and not be able to do anything and have your whole life taken away from you. Um, it's easy for you to say that as a well person and this post was really ableist. And I'm like, okay, first of all, you don't know anything about me. Um, and I was not diminishing anyone's experience. I have great empathy for people. Um, and it was more about how that triggered that person. And I felt for them, you know, because I was like, I'm really sad that you can't, um, that, that you might be in such a depressed place or hopeless place that you don't see any, any positives coming out of you know, the, the suffering, um, and that you're not open to 
you know, seeing how other people might think or learning from other people or other perspectives like our society today. Um, so I think that being triggered is, it's normal, you know, it's, it's natural. Um, but I hope that people can, number one, let themselves feel that trigger, figure out why am I feeling this way? Why am I feeling angry? Why am I feeling hostile? And what is it about that that's doing this? And, um, and how can I be more open to other people's points of view? That didn't really answer your question, but that's- No, no, I, I think it does. See, but I, I, I see it a little bit differently. I'll just give yeah, my yeah, opinion yeah. and let you react yeah. to it. Because yeah. look, I, I think the concept of ableism uh, or the criticism of ableism is just sort of buying into the medical industrial complexes perspective okay. that, hey, it's okay to be sick. Right. We'll give you drugs. We'll mask the symptoms. You won't get better. We'll continue to make money by having you come to us. We'll continue to make money by giving you pharmaceuticals. And therefore, you should be sick forever. So my, my, my concern when I hear this criticism of ableism, and we've heard it as well, right. is that it's you're buying into a, a spiritually dangerous concept that only benefits the people who are trying to keep you down and benefit from that financially through the medical industrial complex. I'd love your reaction to that. I love what you just said. I absolutely love it. Yeah, we are, the pharmaceutical companies, the doctors or whatever, they don't make money if we heal. They don't make money if we do alternative treatments, the insurance companies and all that. Um, they don't make money if we get to the root cause. Um, you know, they want us band-aiding symptoms all over the place. They want us going from doctor to doctor to doctor and thinking that we need referrals to specialists. Um, which are more expensive. So yeah, the whole system is very enabling of being sick. Right, so the whole foundation of that system is preventing us from having faith that the possibility of healing is real. And empowering ourselves. And believing that we have ultimately the tools we need to know whether or not something is going to make us better or not, which sort of gets us back to the medical intuitive that we're talking to today, right? Isn't yeah. that really everything that you believe? Yes, absolutely. So now help us one more with one more uh, piece of our podcast. And I, I have to say, I love you and I love this podcast. Oh, um, if God forbid, I saw, I saw today on, um, on social media, you have a child that's about to get married. And I saw that she was, uh, she was, uh, posing beautifully in some wedding dresses. Yes, yes. Um, in fact, you posted one she wasn't going to. So, so <laughs> Rick, I'm not allowed to post the one she chose. So let's uh, let's 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 uh, let's hypothetically assume that when you are looking at your beautiful daughter posing in her dresses and making a decision about which dress she was going to buy and not going to buy, you saw that she had a tick biting her on her neck. What would you do to prevent that beautiful young woman from having to go on the terrible Lyme disease journey that you had gone on? So um, listening to my guides here and my experience, um, one of the first things that I would do is um, get some CBD oil and put it directly on the tick, tick bite because I have um, been reading some research about you know the, the healing properties of the CBD for as soon as you get the bite. Um, I know. And, you never, you know, interesting, pretty reliable person who the homes. Um, so like that, um, I, you know, it's, 
I brought up antibiotics and I hate them, but they're necessary. And I think the times I have seen them have some effectiveness is when someone's first bit. However, sometimes it takes a while for them, for the symptoms to start. Um, so I think I probably, as much as I hate them, would probably, you know, take her to somebody who could do that traditional medical thing. Um, I would also get her to my guy who works long distance as well and be like, okay, let's see what's popping up. How can we detox you? How can we set you up for healing? Um, see if anything's coming up, see if there's anything, any pre-existing stuff that is interfering with your own immune system's ability to fight this off. Um, so I think, you know, those three things is, is where I'd start. Um, I'd encourage rest. I'd look at her lifestyle and be like, okay, if you're doing too much and you're not getting enough rest, you can't fight this off. You know, you have to make some changes um, and take care of yourself and listen for symptoms, not be afraid of it. But if, if you start to feel funky or weird or whatever, call your mom, um, you know, and she can help kind of direct you about what to do. And um, so, you know, listen to your body. And so that's where I'd start. Thank you for listening to the Tick Boot Camp interview with our guest, Katie Beecher. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Katie Beecher, please visit our Instagram page at katiebeecher underscore medical underscore intuitive. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share it with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of our post. Third, Tick Bootcamp has created a Tick by Blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been shared with us by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at www.tickbootcamp.com to view the blueprint. Please note we would appreciate any input or any improvements you would like to share with us. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify to get your automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, we thank you, our community, for your comments on our past podcast episodes. Please take a minute to leave us an honest review on Apple Podcasts on Instagram or on our website. We make it a point to read every single one of the reviews we get. Thank you, as always, for listening.